0: Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast.
1: We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. I title this message, Written in the Dirt. And you may wonder, that's an odd name for an Easter message, but I think you'll understand it just a couple minutes into it. But I thought I'd share my best dirt story for my personal life and make a connection with this message And it just has to do when I was in high school. When I was in high school, my brother Tony and Mike and I, we played these Sunday night football games. We played them right in front of the the lawn in front of Fairhaven Schools, right in the neighborhoods across from the Eastwood Mall. Guys would come from all over the county. We played tackle football there. I broke my nose there once. And and we just had a blast, got hurt a lot. But one Sunday night we're playing and it's drizzling. So we thought, no lightning, let's uh, play. But then it turned into a hard rain. And we thought, you know what, let's just play. And then it just became what we called the mud bowl. And I, we were so muddy. I had mud everywhere, my my hair. We were just full of mud. We looked like mud monsters, you know. And when the game was over, we had... Never thought about it. We had to get home and we had a car, but we had no towels, nothing. So we had to jump in the car and figure this is going to take a long time to clean later on. But we're driving home and we thought, what are we going to do when we get home? We'll sneak in. Mom won't see us. We'll go downstairs, shower downstairs. But my mom had a sixth sense. And we pull up the drive and she's looking out the window and she sees us and she runs in, out into the garage and she goes, Don't you dare walk in this house. Get the hose. You hose all that mud off you. Don't you dare come in. I'll bring some towels and garage. So we had to hose all the mud off. On, on the back patio, and then we had to clean the patio. And then we came in, we had to take our clothes off, wrap them in towels, wrap some other towels around us, and go down and wash those clothes and clean up. And here's why I share the story. My mom knew what to do with our dirt. I had no clue to do with my dirt, with, know what to do with my dirt, but my mom knew. And guess what? God knows what to do with our dirt. And I'm using dirt metaphorically when I say that, in, in my age group, we used to use the word dirt as meaning something sinful or wrong. Uh, if a politician shifted and began to go in another direction, we would say someone must have some dirt on him, right? Somebody kind of blackmailed him and said, hey, I'm gonna say this if you don't do that. And so we used it in that sense. And you know what, I'm using it in that sense today. And all of us have some dirt, but here's the exciting news, guys. It's so exciting. And it's my big idea. This is what I want you to walk out understanding more clearly than ever. And it goes like this. uh, It goes like this. Jesus claimed us before we were dirty. He cleaned us before we were dirty. I want you to stop and just think about that for a moment. That's a crazy statement. He cleaned us before we were dirty. We could say Jesus forgave us before we sinned. Jesus picked us up. Before we fell And this is the wonderful truth of Jesus. He cleaned you before you ever did anything wrong. He cleaned you before you were even born. Jesus cleaned us before we were dirty. And one of the best scriptures in all the Bible to explain this is Ephesians chapter one verse four. Listen to this: "Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes." So, in Christ means he knew we'd accept Christ, and even before the world began, he cleaned our dirt up so we'd be holy or pure before him. So, look at the phrase, even before he made the world. Now, according to the Bible, God is three persons but one God, right? I can't figure that out in my head, and I'll be honest with you, no theologian can. If we could figure it out, then he wouldn't be God. I don't want to serve a God that I can figure out. He, he's hard to figure out. So by faith, I just I know he's God and I love him and I trust him. But there was God the Father, Jesus God the Son and the Holy Spirit. They're up in heaven before the world was ever made. Think about this. And God the Father said, "I want to create human beings. I want them to be in our image" but I don't want them to be robots. I want them to have a free will. So God's saying, I wanna create a people that has a free will in our our image. And then Jesus, because God knows the beginning to the end, Jesus says, Father, you know they're gonna sin, and you know when they're gonna do it, because God sees everything. And, And Jesus said, I'll tell you what, Dad, I will go down to the earth, take on a human body, and I will die for their sins. And all that was decided before God ever made the world, before man was ever created. Jesus cleaned us before we were dirty. Jesus is clean, touching dirty, and making it clean. It's absolutely amazing. So I want to share two Bible dirt stories that I really love. And here's the first one. Jesus made us from dirt. Stop and think about that. He made us from dirt. And here's the Bible story, Genesis 2-7. God formed man out of dirt dirt from the ground, and he blew into his nostrils the breath of life. The man came alive, a living soul. Stop stop and think about it. And if you're a farmer, you plant a garden, that's the good side of dirt, right? It grows crops. That's the good side. But outside of that, I mean, dirt gets on our shoes. We have to wash our shoes. It turns into mud, like the mud bowl, right? It gets into our house. We're always running the sweeper. It turns into dust. I mean, it's just, It's a nuisance. So I want you to think about God just grabbing dirt, forming it into a human being. That means all the organs, the blood, the brain, and then he blows life into it. If God could take dirt and reshape it into human beings, what can God do with a little bit of dirt in our life? I mean, what does it mean to God? Jesus cleaned us before we were dirty. Can he clean our lives up? Absolutely. Can he clean our failures up? Absolutely. Can he clean our sin up? Absolutely. Jesus cleaned us before we were dirty. God knows what to do with dirt. But here's my favorite story, and here's what it's about. Jesus made a point in the dirt. There's a time when he wrote in the dirt. That's why I titled this Written in the Dirt, and he made an incredible point. Now I, I want to before I share the story, I want to just help you understand. Uh, there's two attitudes we can have as human beings. We can have a religious attitude or a relational attitude. And I want to make sure you understand that religion can be a good thing. You know, if we say someone's religious because they love God, they go to church, they read their Bible, that's positive. so I'm not using it in that sense. When we say religion, it doesn't have to be bad. But there's a religious attitude that's in our culture, and we don't wanna have that attitude. So I wanna just show you the difference between the two, all right? Uh, Religious attitude says, I messed up. Dad is gonna kill me. That's the story of my childhood. And mom would say, wait till your dad comes home, wait till your dad comes home, I'm gonna tell your dad, he's gonna get you. And then dad would come home and he'd kill us, and then mom would scream, Jim, Jim, don't kill him, don't kill him, we're like, it's your fault, woman, you started all this. And he didn't actually kill us, but you understand what was going on. There was some heavy discipline happening. It was all mom's fault. But guys, listen, listen, listen. (laughs) I had nothing to do with it. Listen, that religious attitude is, I messed up, dad's going to kill me. And that's how we are with God. I messed up. God's going to kill me. God's mad at me. God's going to shame me. God is disappointed with me. And you have to understand, Jesus cleaned us before we were dirty. So, how can that be? Here's a relational attitude, guys. A relational attitude says, I messed up. Better call dad. (laughs) That's the attitude, right? Uh, You can call Saul, but it's better to call dad, right, guys? Because dad can help you more than Saul can. But, guys, listen, listen. When my kids were young and a couple times they got into different car accidents, you know what? They called me with no fear. They knew I loved him. They'd call and say, Dad, I need some help. And you know what I'd do? I'd run to help. And that's how God the Father is. And that's a relational attitude. Hey, we love our kids. God loves us. And so we say, I better call God. Understanding that, I want to show you the point that Jesus made in the dirt. Here's the story. It's John 8 and verse 1. Jesus went across to Mount Olives, but he was soon back in the temple again. Swarms of people came to him. He sat down and he taught them. So it's kind of like a moment like right now, and I'm just teaching. What happens next to me is one of the most awkward things that could ever happen. I don't think I could ever handle it the way Jesus handled it, uh, but he is smooth. Listen to verse three. The religious scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, verse four, teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Now, Have you ever wondered, how did you do that? What happened there, right? Verse five, Moses in the law gives orders to stone such a person. What do you say? What a question. Now, in case you're new in God and uh, Moses in the law, that's referring to the old covenant. And adultery just means this. If a couple is married and one of those couples have relationships out outside of their marriage with another person or someone single and they have a relationship with a married person, the Bible calls that adultery. Now, under the law of Moses, people were stoned for committing adultery. And if I had a half hour more, I could explain to you why you'd understand it. you go, oh, I get it. But now Jesus comes along and Jesus changes it. He calls it the new covenant. Can I ask you a question, Borman, TCI Warren? Are we excited we don't get stoned for our sins anymore? Can we say thank you, Jesus? Ah! I would have been. St- I wouldn't be here. I'd be dead. Okay, and and uh, so would some of you, right? Right. So that's what's happening with this thing. And listen to verse six. They were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating, so they could bring charges against him. Jesus bent down and wrote his uh, with his finger in the dirt. Jesus is amazing. This this is an amazing thing. He doesn't say a word. And he begins to write in the dirt. So different scholars and teachers, we all try to figure out what did he write in the dirt, right? And so some Bible scholars, some teachers believe he, he wrote the names of some of the religious people. He wrote the names of their mistresses. So he wrote Amy. And then a guy's like, Richard, who, who's Amy? Never heard of Amy. You know? And then Sally. I don't know any Sally. You know any Sally? And, and some people believe he did that. I don't think he did that. I really don't. I think he wrote something redemptive there. And I think he might have wrote something like our big idea. I cleansed her before she was dirty. I forgave her before she sinned. And he's blowing their minds. So take a look at what happens next, verse 8. They kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, the sinless one among you, go first, throw the stone bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. I'm I'm almost positive what he wrote the second time. But what he just said is genius. He's not coming against the law of Moses so they can say he's not of God. He's saying, all right, whoever doesn't have sin, you throw the first stone. And he's placing the onus on them. And then I really believe what he wrote helped them make their decision. And I'm convinced uh, he wrote out of Isaiah. These guys would have had those books memorized. So he wrote the book, the chapter, and the verse. Here's what I think he wrote. I think he wrote this. We all are infected and impure with sin. We're all dirty. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. This is how we are before we meet Jesus. But he already cleaned us, but when we meet him, then he cleans us. That cleansing takes place In our lives. But I believe he just wanted to remind them guys, no matter how good we are, if we put ourselves up to God's standards, we're all dirty. That's why we need a Savior. And he's trying to make a point in the dirt hey, we're all dirty, but I cleaned you before you were ever dirty. I took care of that for you before the worlds were created. So take a look at what happens. Verse 9 Hearing that, they walked away one after another. Beginning with the oldest. Have you ever wondered why he said beginning with the oldest? I think I have it figured out. The older I become, the more I realize how frail and how imperfect I am. And there's some of those things in our life, those nagging little problems that we fall over and over again. We keep saying, "Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus." Like it's been 20 years. Forgive me, Jesus. And 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 so you just realize, hey, I'm not perfect. I have some sin. And then it goes on and says, the woman was left alone. She stood up and spoke, uh, he stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they, They does no one condemn you? Verse 11, no one, master, neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way, from now on, don't sin. Now here's what's so cool about this. Jesus didn't shame her, Jesus didn't condemn her. Did you notice he said, I don't condemn you? Jesus didn't point at her sin and say, how dare you? How could you do that? Why did you do that? Do you realize that's not right? He didn't do that. He doesn't do that when you fall, when you mess up, when you sin. Why? Because Jesus cleaned us before we were dirty. I mean, he knows we have issues, right? So he already took care of that. Why would he condemn her? He doesn't want to put your nose in your mess and rub it in there. So he doesn't do that. But what does he say to her? He says, go and sin no more. What's he saying? He's saying to her, don't look at your problem. Look to the answer. And for all of us Christians, you know, we accept Jesus. He cleanses us. And where freedom really begins to come out is when we make a decision, we're going to follow him. And here's what Jesus wants to do. You ready? Jesus wants to turn your dirt into destiny. And that's what he does with every single one of us. God has a destiny for you. And if you wallow looking at your dirt, you'll never fulfill your destiny. He wants to turn your dirt into destiny. And I thought this scripture would be fun to read. Listen to Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Think about that. Before the universe was created, he cleaned us. Before I shaped you in the womb, before you were born, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. Here's what the Bible teaches. Mom and dad make the body. God makes our spirit and soul, the real us. And he writes in a book in heaven, all the plans, our purpose, our significant. This is is what I created you to do down there. And before you're born, all that's decided. And so it doesn't matter if you're born in a dirty mess. God has plans for you, and they are amazing plans. And he wants to turn our dirt into destiny. That's absolutely amazing. So we have, we have two stories, dirt to destiny stories. One is David, and David is on the worship team in, in Boardman, and David has an amazing story. You're gonna hear his, and the other is Kelly. She's on our worship team here, and she has an amazing story. God turned their dirt into destiny, and I'm making this part of my message. We weren't necessarily looking for someone that's part of our worship team, but we just heard their stories and said, whoa. So enjoy their stories, and then I'll come back up.
2: From the very beginning, music was a huge part of my life. So when your dad's a worship leader, you find yourself at church a lot, and a lot of good came from that, which I really enjoyed. Um, But during that same season, our church began to go through transitions. At that time, I was struggling with things personally, and I felt like I really had nobody to turn to. It was almost like a disconnect from church. I started driving, and I didn't have to, like, ride with my parents to go to church. It wasn't, like, something that I had to do. It was an option. It was a choice. So I stopped going to church altogether.
3: Growing up, I saw God as a punisher. Church was just never really a big part of my life. I didn't necessarily put a lot of God into attending church, I guess you could say. But for some reason, every night, I would find myself praying to God, but it was never about a connection with Him. I had met an older guy, and I would run away from home repeatedly. When I was running, there was freedom to do whatever I felt I wanted to do. Life was one big party. No school, no rules, no adults telling me what to do, when to do it, how to do it. No one dictating anything. It was just, let's do what we want. We're free. I was mean. I was hateful and I would fight. And I wasn't afraid to fight. Probably the third time I ran away from home that I ended up in uh, juvie. And I was about 16 years old and I found out that I was pregnant. I listened to people tell me, your life's over, it's over, you're done for.
2: Growing up in an Italian family, You have easy access to wine and cigars and things like that. But I found myself developing a taste for it. Because I was so familiar with alcohol, I would go to local convenience stores and I would find myself walking out with whatever I wanted at 16 years old. Shortly after that, I met this girl in her early 20s and that began a vicious cycle of drugs, sex and alcohol. I just couldn't control it. At that point, I felt like there was nothing wrong with it. I felt like I was almost invincible. During that time, my dad got really sick, and instead of being there to help my mom, I just kind of shut down and numbed myself and dug a deeper hole. So I started driving around for my drug dealer and I found myself in places I never thought I would be. What started in my life as a habit became an obsession. I would go to strip clubs, do cocaine, you name it. I tried it. The darkest point for me was getting pulled over with a quarter pound of weed in my trunk. I just remember when they brought me back to the holding cell, having to call my mom. I just remember the sadness in her voice. I remember how upset she was. And the next morning, they brought me up in leg shackles and I just remember seeing her crying. I was so ashamed. Those shackles represented what my life had become. I was stuck and couldn't break free.
3: Sitting in jail as a 16 year old, Just finding out that you're pregnant is extremely shameful, embarrassing, because all of those freedoms that I had been searching for my entire life were gone. My family was devastated. At that point, I felt I had no other choice but to get married and run away. There was cheating, there was fighting, there was never a marriage that God intended. That was never there. I knew that I needed to change the way that my story was going. And I knew that the only way that I could do that was to reconnect with my family. And as I decided to pick up the pieces of my life and put my life back together, my ex-husband decided that I was not going to have a life without him. So my ex-husband saw an individual walking me to my car one night after work and thought that there was obviously something going on and that he was going to confront me and my friend. I remember standing in my living room and seeing the gun come out of his pocket. Shot me four times and then he shot my friend and killed him. I remember lying there thinking, it can't end this way, this, this can't be it. I walked out of that hospital in nine days with a bullet in my spine, with a severed renal artery. I should have bled to death within 10 minutes, and I lived for two and a half hours before they took me into surgery, and I had no idea why. But somebody had plans for me. so still in shock after surgery and being in the hospital. I couldn't understand why I was still there. I don't know that I thought much of God during that time. I do remember that I still prayed every night and I did teach my daughter to pray every night. So we had been home about a year. I had finished school and was working, and a friend of mine introduced me to my husband. And he had children of his own, and I had Lindsay with me. And together, we formed a blended family.
2: By the grace of God, I was delivered out of that trial and given a second chance. I knew I needed to make a change and surround myself with positive people. So I asked the Vera if I could stay with them um, for a couple months, and they welcomed me into their home like I was family.
3: I would attend church every now and then with some friends, but it was nothing that I felt a desire to pursue. I was living my life playing music, trying to do the right thing but always finding myself in situations that led me to not do the right thing.
2: Church wasn't even really on my radar. I hadn't been there in a very long time. And that night, I just remember the Vericale's asking if I wanted to go to Believer's Church to see Michael Francis speak, and I said yes. He was a former mob boss whose life had been dramatically changed by Jesus. And there was just something about that that really resonated with me. Walking into this church for the first time, I felt so welcome. Everybody came up, greeted me. It just was like a really warm atmosphere. Um, And then I just remember the worship team starting to play.
3: I think when I walked into Believer's Church and heard the music the first time,
2: it just overtook me with so many emotions.
3: It wasn't just a place. It was something that had a life of its own. It was a place that I belonged.
2: In that moment, I knew that I was supposed to be there. And at the end, Pastor Joe came up and asked us to pray a prayer with him. And I just remember raising my hand and receiving a Bible and feeling so free. I finally felt like I was home. It was a process, it didn't happen overnight, but I knew God was dealing with things on my heart that I really needed to give up. The void I was trying to fill with relationships and drugs and alcohol was filled with God now. I felt free, so I started getting to church every week and I was surrounding myself with positive people and making relationships with people that were allowing me to have a deeper relationship with God.
3: I think it was baby steps, it wasn't like this light bulb moment that went off, it was just something that i just walked, decided to walk into i had to make that first decision and i fail every day and i still struggle every day but this time i know that the struggle is going to be worth it
2: i had been attending bc warren for a little while and i got an invitation from pastor graham uh, to be a part of the bc boardman worship team for a campus that they were planning. And I just remember feeling so overwhelmed.
3: It's funny, now I'm on the worship team, and when I'm not up there singing, then I feel kind of off. If I have an off weekend, it just doesn't feel right. But every time I'm up there, I ask God, let them see you in me. I don't get angry anymore. I don't have that fight-or-flight attitude anymore.
2: It's amazing how God works sometimes, uh, to think that I went to elementary school in this building, and all these years later, now I'm leading people in worship, connecting them closer to God.
3: I thought to be there, I had to be perfect. I had to be good, I had to be kind, But then I hear this voice, when I say, I'm not perfect, I hear this voice that says, you don't have to be. I'm perfect. When I say, I'm not good, I hear, you don't have to be good. I was good enough for you. God's not in love with a future version of me. He loves me where he finds me.
2: Some of us are one decision away from God radically changing our lives and all it takes is one step.
4: this kind of love. Somehow, this kind of love is who you are. It's a grace I could never add up to be somebody you'd still want. Somehow, you love me as you find.
1: take a moment just give it up for what God can do. You, you know what's so cool what's so cool about that story is God doesn't want to leave any of us where we're at. He wants to take us all to this place of freedom. And maybe you're here today and this is your day of destiny, the day when you actually give your heart to Jesus. And so right now I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm not asking you if you grew up in church. I'm not asking you any of those questions. You might've walked in today not even being sure if God exists. You might've walked in today uh, believing in God, but you never actually gave your heart to Jesus. And I just wanna take a moment and and I wanna give God an opportunity to reach out and open up your heart, whoever you might be. You know, on Good Friday, we celebrated that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. He was buried. Today we're celebrating God raised him up out of the grave. He's alive. It's absolutely amazing. And here's what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way to the Father is through me. He said, anyone who calls on my name, I will save them. He said, if you believe in me, I will give you eternal life. And it's the most incredible news. The Bible calls it good news. And here's what I'm asking. I'm asking, can you remember a day in your life where from your heart you said, Jesus, I believe you're the Savior and I make a decision today to follow you. I grew up in church and I didn't do that until I was older. And there was that day when God just opened up my eyes. And maybe that's your day. God wants to turn your dirt into destiny. It's an amazing time. So I'd like to pray. Can we close our eyes, bow our heads, just pray for a moment. Father, I thank you for every single person in this room. And I thank you for what only you can do in all of our lives is God. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here, you say, hey, I'm ready to believe, I'm ready to pray, I'm ready to call on his name. Would you repeat this prayer with me? If you mean it from your heart, a miracle will happen. Can the rest of us, every one of us in this room, TCI, TCISU, can you help them? Can we say this prayer with them? And just say this after me. Say, Father God, I realize I was born a sinner. And this day, I look to Jesus, Jesus, thank you for dying for the sins of the entire world and my sins too. This day, I call on your name. I believe that you're the son of God, that you died for my sins, that God raised you up out of the grave. I accept you as my Savior and make a decision to follow you this day. Amen.
2: Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this
1: podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give.